I don't know how many of you were here last year. I think it was last year uh, when we had an entire family here uh, who had been in the Mormon church and had been converted. Uh, the mother of this family was a professor in Brigham Young University. Her husband was a, a high up guy in the church and they all, from one of the young sons who was down in Florida being a missionary, when you're in the Mormon church, you spend two years doing missionary work. And this young man in Florida uh, made the, the mistake from the flesh, <laughs> intentional by the Lord. He called on a fellow that believed the scripture. And the end of all of his visitation with this guy, the fellow just challenged him and said, let me just challenge you to do one thing. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. That's all. Just read the New Testament. And in the reading of the New Testament, he found that, he, that the God and Savior he was worshiping was not the same as the one in the New Testament. He was converted. He went back and began to witness to his family, and every single one of them were converted. And they're all talented, talented people. Well, the fellow that plays the piano, who's a concert pianist, Matt is his name, Matt Wilder. He's the one that's going to be here on the 13th. And you don't want to miss it. You will enjoy his testimony, and you will enjoy the music. All right. Number 13 in your hymnal, praise ye the Lord, the Almighty. Praise ye the Lord, the Almighty. May I ask you to stand one more time with me before we read the Scripture. Praise ye the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. All ye who now do his temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Praise ye the Lord, who all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters ye under his wings, yet so gently has thou not seen how thy desires there have been granted in what he ordained? Praise ye the Lord who with marvelous wisdom hath made thee. Oh, 
from the heavens the streams of his mercy doth send me ponder on you what the almighty can do who with his love doth That verse was added, so that caught me by surprise. I didn't see that in the scripture, or in the hymnal, in the hymnal. All right, I'm going to ask you to remain standing for just a moment, and Lynn, if you want to come up and help me, we're going to sing Victory in Jesus. It is page 496. It will be on, uh, on the screen for you, but let's do that one, and then we're going to do an, an ancient hymn. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sins and Wonder victory, oh victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me. Of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory oh victory my Savior forever, he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ever 
can witness to that. How many of you have been saved by the blood of Christ? I mean, that's just simple. Yes, that's a friend of mine says, that's a yes or no answer. Have you been saved by the precious blood of Christ? All right. Amen. Okay, I'm going to take you on your word. <laughs> All right, we're going to let you be seated. I, hate, I shouldn't have had you stand up then, but how can you sing a song like that without standing up? I'm going to have to have you stand one more time reading scripture in a minute. From time to time, we do what we call an ancient hymn, and the ancient hymn is to the tune of hymns that we are familiar with. This is to the tune of Majestic Sweetness sits enthroned and the lyrics will be on the board up there and i'm sure most of you remember that melody you will when we begin singing it majestic sweetness is the melody now gracious lord thine arm reveal and make thy glory known now let us all thy presence feel and soften hearts of stone and soften hearts of stone help us to venture near thy throne and plead the savior's name for all that we can call our own is vanity and shame is vanity and shame from all the guilt of former sin, may mercy set us free. And let the year we now begin, begin and end with me. Begin and end with thee. Send down thy spirit from above, that saints may love thy more. And sinners now may learn to love who never loved before, who never loved before. And when before thee we appear in our eternal home, may growing numbers worship here and praise thee in our room, and praise thee in our room. Put the first verse back up there, uh, Jet. I want us to sing this first verse, and I want us to sing it a little slower, okay? I want us to sing it. We can sing it a cappella if you want to. Sing it with me. Now, gracious Lord, thine arm reveal and make thy glory known. Now let us all thy presence feel and soften hearts of stone and soften hearts of stone. Our Father, we pray that now as we look into your holy word, that indeed you will soften our hearts, make them pliable, make them receptive. We pray that we may learn of thee in these days when little gospel teaching and preaching is prevailing in this country. We have a form of godliness, but we are denying the power thereof. We pray, Father, that you will send us a heaven-sent awakening, a heaven-sent revival, that men and women, boys and girls, will once again 
Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. All right, if you'll stand once more, once more with me. you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, and we'll be looking at chapter 40. So good to see all of you today, and I hope that you've had a good week. And again, I'd like to appeal to you, not only to pray for one another, but to pray specifically for some of these people that you heard about in the prayer request, and especially for our, our song leader. Joshua, who a young man, but uh, been been ill now for a couple of weeks, and we want to pray for his full recovery and for the full recovery of his of his family. Genesis uh, chapter thirty nine first, and then we'll get into chapter forty. Verse thirty nine says that Joseph was thrown into prison. Chapter 39, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and there he was in the prison. Now we go to chapter 40. After he's in prison, it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, And Pharaoh was wroth against two of the officers, against the chief of the butler and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the card into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them and they continued for a season in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord and you may be seated. We're going to begin probably a two-study series on the suffering of Joseph. This is our 27th study under the general theme, the story of Joseph, and today I'm going to introduce you God willing, to the suffering of Joseph. 
Now, we enter now, today, into the third phrase of the story of Joseph. Phase one was from his birth to his betrayal at age 17. Phase two was from the pit to the prison, the pit that his brothers threw him into, to the prison in Egypt. And now phase three, we're going to begin today from the prison to the palace. Now Joseph is in prison because of three strange forces, which although they are separate from each other, nevertheless work together for his good and God's glory. Two of these reasons are revealed, and one is hidden. The first reason Joseph is in prison is he has been sentenced to prison for doing right. He refused to have an affair with Potiphar's wife. The second reason he is in prison is because of the slander of Potiphar's wife, because he refused her. She claimed that he tried to rape her. Now, these are the two revealed reasons for his imprisonment. The third reason, which is hidden, is the sovereign will of God. No one would have guessed that the Lord would put Joseph in prison, but he did. And why is this? Well, listen to me carefully. Even today, in the 21st century, it is generally thought, even among many Christians, that the God who created the world has very little to do with the world that he created. The events in the world, we think, just happen for no apparent reason. Certainly, God has nothing to do with them. Now, in the minds of the majority of people today, the God of creation is very similar to the God of deism, D-E-I-S-M. The God of deism is compared to an absentee landlord. He owns the place, but he has nothing to do with the running of it. The tenants are basically on their own. They may mention him, from time to time, but they have no real knowledge of him. And like most tenants, they don't really have an interest in knowing the landlord personally, and since he is an absentee landlord, he really doesn't care to know them. And about the only time that they call on him is if they need something, or if they have an emergency such as a serious illness, or maybe facing death. But still, he gets the blame for everything unfavorable that happens in the tenants' lives. Why does God let this happen to us is a common complaint. And what this means is that the tenants living in this world don't really want a God. They want an errand boy. They want a benevolent landlord it's a kind of, don't bother me, I'll call you if I need you theology. But the God of Joseph is not an absentee landlord. 
He has made all things, and he governs all things he has made. The Bible says this about him. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, 3. Again, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, Colossians 1, 6. And those who are around the throne in heaven have this to say from Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and listen to this now, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, why would any of you buy anything or create something? The answer would be because you want to do so and because what you buy or create gives you pleasure. And what did we just hear from those that are around the throne of God? You read it for yourself, Revelation 4, verse 11. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, because all of the people and all of the property on earth belongs to the one who created all things, he doesn't need anyone's permission to carry out what he has planned in his creation. David said, our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he has pleased. Psalm 115, verse 3. Again, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, in the earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. Psalm 135, verse 6. And you know that old familiar passage of Daniel. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none dare stay his hand or try to stay his hand and say unto him, What are you doing? Now, we've already learned in earlier studies that the Lord has plotted out Joseph's path, and he told him that when he was just 17 years old. And I want to remind you that he didn't ask Joseph for permission to do anything with him. He just told him that he was going to be the governor of Egypt and that all of his family would be happy about it. And then from that point forward, to make sure that what he had planned for Joseph came to pass, he utilized people and places and things to make it happen. He utilized Joseph's father, Jacob. He used 10 of his brothers. He used some Ishmaelites. He used an Egyptian named Potiphar. He used Potiphar's wife, and now he's going to use the king's prison. And I want to make this clear to you. I say he used them. He didn't make any of them do anything. He used their personalities. He used their preferences. He used their volition, their will, to bring his plan and purposes to pass. And what they did, they did without coercion. They did without pressure. They did without anybody putting any persuasion on them. There were no threats. There was no force. There's no any kind of outside pressure upon them. And this brings us to this. This brings us to a consideration of the sufferings of Joseph. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 105. Several studies ago, we considered a couple of passages in this psalm. 
If you just, uh, if you're not really familiar with your Bible, if you plot down just about in the middle of your Bible, the Psalms are in the middle of the Bible, you should be able to find them. And then you would turn to Psalm 105, or you could look in the beginning of your Bible to the table of contents and uh, turn to that page and find Psalm 105. Now, so let me rehearse what I've just said. Now, God told Joseph when he was 17 years old what his plan for him would be. He didn't give him all the details, but he told him that he was going to be put in an exalted position. We now know that he's going to be the governor of Egypt. And he was told that all of his brothers would bow down to him and that he would be the means of the salvation of his family. And we now know that he's also the means of all of the promises that God made to Abraham. None of those promises could have been kept were it not for the life of Joseph. It's through Joseph that all of these things are kept. So now we're going to talk about the sufferings of Joseph. And here's what the record said in Psalm 105. He's been thrown into prison now. And we read in verse 17, or we look at verse 16 first, he called for a famine, that is, God called for famine upon the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread, that is, there was no food, there's no means of getting any food, they couldn't grow any crops because they're going to be in a time of famine. He sent a man before them, verse 17, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet, verse 18, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Now, notice first of all, verse 17, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Now, you will notice that the record says that heaven sent Joseph. And he sent Joseph long before he was needed. And the verse before that, verse 16, tells us why he was needed. God is going to send a famine on the land. He's going to break the whole staff of bread. And the man that the Lord had in place, a man that he had already prepared when the famine came, was Joseph. Now please note, Additionally, in verse 17, we're told that Joseph was sold as a, as a slave. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. The word there is slave. Now, first of all, I ask you this question. Is this something that Joseph chose? No, it is something the Lord chose. But this is just the beginning for Joseph. Let's read the next verse, verse 18. Whose feet? They hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the, the word of the Lord tried him. So here's what we're saying. Number one, this verse tells us that Joseph suffered humiliation and deprivation, the humiliation and deprivation of a slave. He was deprived of everything except that which uh, he needed to survive, perhaps some meager food and some meager clothes. Number two, he was told that he suffered physical pain uh, from the iron fetters. Number three, we're told he suffered for some time. 
It says, until the word that is the prophecy, that he, that's Joseph, until the word of the prophecy that God gave to Joseph, when he shared it with his family, until that word came true, the word that God gave him when he had those dreams, until that word came true, and then he's going to have another word, which we'll consider in the next couple of weeks, from uh, chapter 40, all, until all of these things come true, he suffered in prison. And number four, he suffered in the sense that he was tried. It says, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. That's a Hebrew word, saraf, and it means to refine or to smelt or to prove true. It's the process by which precious metals were purged of their impurity. Solomon says this in Proverbs 25, 4, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the refiner. The Lord, listen now, the Lord, by the trials and troubles that he allows his people to go through, and we can certainly see this in Joseph, he seeks to remove from his people all wickedness and sin. And this process is often called trial or sufferings. Now, there are different kinds of sufferings, and Joseph experienced them all. There's emotional suffering, there's mental suffering, there's psychological suffering, there's physical suffering. I imagine, as a 17-year-old boy, that Joseph suffered emotionally when his brothers hate him, hated him and threw him into a pit and sold him as a slave. Don't you imagine he suffered all kind of emotional, emotional suffering? And he suffered when he was deprived of his family, deprived of his freedom, taken off to Egypt, and again sold. He suffered as a slave in the house of Potiphar. He suffered from an Egyptian sun worshiper, which is what Potiphar was. He suffered for years at the hands of Potiphar's wife, and now he is suffering in prison. He's having physical suffering for a crime that he didn't commit, and that would be mental, emotional, and psychological suffering. So let me make two observations today about suffering. And I want you to listen carefully because next week, God willing, I'm going to tell you why the Lord lets us suffer. I'm going to tell you some things why he lets us suffer. But I want you to try to Try to enter into what I have to say to you today. Number one, the Lord utilizes suffering to accomplish many good things in this world, and they all contribute to his eternal plan and purpose. Now, let me ask you this question. How did salvation come to the world? The greatest good that has ever come to this world is the salvation of of a multitude which cannot be numbered. But that salvation came from the greatest suffering the world has ever known. It came from the suffering of the Son of God. Now, how were you brought into this world? You all came into this world through suffering, through the suffering of your mother. Is that not right? The suffering of your mother, through the suffering of your mother, you were, and I were brought into the world. We are all here because of suffering. All life in this world. I know we don't like to hear this. But it's my job to face you with the reality of life, which is in the Scripture. 
All life in this world is related to some sort of suffering. We're all born through suffering. We all go through some sort of suffering as we pass through this world. And there is usually some kind of suffering related to leaving it as well. Now I want you to think about the saints of God whose lives are recorded in Scripture. Just two or three. Abraham suffered when his wife Sarah could have no children. And she suffered also. His wife, Sarah, suffered because of Hagar, her handmaiden, with whom Abraham had Ismael. Abraham suffered when his wife, Sarah, died. Consider Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He suffered for 20 years because of Laban, his deceitful father-in-law, who changed his wages 10 times, cheated him out of a wife, forced him to work for no wages for 14 years, and another six years of extra work besides that. When Jacob was asked his age by the Pharaoh, and we'll consider that later, many years later, this is what he answered, few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. That's Genesis 47 and verse 9. At that time, he was like 127 years old. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. What about Job? Job suffered through no fault of his own. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his sons. And he was struck with the equivalent of skin cancer. You know, you read in the King James Version that he broke out in boils with a horrible form of skin cancer. All the prophets and the apostles suffered Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, and yet I say to you, all of these sufferings were utilized by the Lord to bring much good into the world through fulfilling His perfect will. And remember that all suffering contributes to the eternal plan and the purpose of God. Here's the second lesson. The redeemed children of God are not exempt from the sufferings that plague all human beings in general, unless the Lord makes a special exception to serve His purpose. All of God's children suffer whether they are redeemed or whether they are not. Now, I am one who believes, of course, that you can't call God your Father unless you're redeemed. But I'm taking for granted, for the purpose of this study, that all people whom God created are His children, at least by creation. But no child, of, no child of God, whether just the created child of God or redeemed child of God, is exempt from sufferings that plague all mankind. All of God's created children suffer, whether they're redeemed or not. And the emphasis in Scripture is not upon the exceptions to this rule. I heard a man say, don't throw the baby out of the train with the trains going 70 miles an hour. Well, you might throw 100 babies out of a train going 70, and one of them might survive, but that's the exception to the rule. That's not normally the rule. Normally, a baby would be killed, thrown out of a train at 70 miles an hour. So we're not, we're not taught by the Scripture to be always emphasizing and looking upon and casting our hopes on the exception 
we are told to trust the Lord regardless of the situation. The emphasis in Scripture is not upon the exception to the rule that all suffer, but faith in Christ regardless. We are not taught to always be praying for and expecting exceptional events, but we are taught to trust the Lord regardless. Our petitions and our prayers and our intercession must always stand upon this premise after you've prayed, after you've asked the Lord, after you've revealed your heart's desire to Him, it ought to end, it ought to stand upon this premise, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I know that's contrary to a lot of teaching today, where we're told that we are just to stand on this and believe this and it'll happen, and that's why so many people are leaving the church today, because that's not true. Did not our Lord teach us to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? And this is what we read in 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us whatsoever we ask, and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. So the idea that the Lord God Almighty is bound to deliver me anytime I call on Him is not biblical. He might deliver me, but He's not bound to deliver me. And it has been used of the enemy to harden many hearts in unbelief. For example, the Lord delivered Daniel from the lion's den. But many thousands of Christians in Rome were thrown to the lions who were not delivered. Nevertheless, they trusted the Lord to the end. And their confession was the confession of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord raised Lazarus from the grave. But the rest of us are going to have to wait to resurrection day. I doubt any of us are going to be raised back up after we die. We might. He could. But there's, he's not bound to do so. He, he raised Lazarus for a special reason. Lazarus was the exception to the rule. Now, in these studies, we have consulted several times Hebrews 11, the so-called great heroes of faith chapter, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I know of no better reference to underscore the point that I'm making to you now about trusting the Lord regardless than Hebrews chapter 11. Let me give you a kind of another side from that. Abel. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, didn't he? And with that sacrifice, his sacrifice was accepted and he was accepted. Cain and his sacrifice were rejected, right? Nevertheless, Abel was murdered and Cain was spared. Is that not right? Abel was murdered and Cain was spared. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. But all the others, though they trusted the Lord, they had to pass through the valley of death. Abraham was called to leave his home and to go to a land that he had never seen. And though he obeyed and he actually dwelt in that land for many years, 
we're told in the book of Acts that he never inherited a square foot of it. And yet the promise was fulfilled in those who were his extended family. And Abraham, the record that's given us in Scripture, tells us that he died believing God. That's the thing that characterized him. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Moses refused the glories of Egypt and chose to suffer the affliction of the people of God, the children of God in Israel. Then he led Israel out of Egypt, and then for 40 years he put up with their rebelliousness in the wilderness. He suffered all their hard-heartedness and all of their stiff-neckedness, and he gave them the holy law, and he gave them the promises, and he led them right up to the door of the promised land, but God said, you're not going in. He was not allowed to go into the promised land. He took him up on the mountain and said, you can see it, but you're not going to go in. And we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that many who trusted the Lord were not delivered. And they suffered even unto death. And this is what it says about them, these people in Hebrews 11 verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. That is, haven't received the fulfillment of them but having seen them afar off, and they were persuaded of them, and they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. One thing that we forget, I often forget it, I forget it several dozen times a day, is that this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And really, when we're praying for somebody to be healed, we're praying for God to leave them in this God-forsaken world for another few years, isn't that right? That's what we're praying. This is the only life we know, but if we believe Scripture, we know that what Paul says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So to quickly review, the Lord utilizes suffering to accomplish many good things in this world, and they all contribute to His eternal plan and purpose, and the redeemed children of God are not exempt from the suffering that plague all human beings in general unless the Lord makes a special exception to serve His purpose. So now we're faced with the question, why does the Lord allow us to suffer? And I'm going to answer that question, God willing, and I live next week in this study. As I have said, there are two kinds of persons who suffer. There are believers and there are unbelievers. Those who do not trust the Lord suffer, but so do those who have trusted the Lord. So in terms of our humanity, we have much in common. All of us are subject to old age and death, and all of us are subject to disease and to problems with these bodies. And why is this? Because all of us are subject to the ravages, the effects of sin. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 5, 12. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of us are subject to disease unless we are divinely protected. Many good and godly 
persons have died in the last three years from coronavirus and many others who hate the Lord, who blaspheme the Lord, have been spared. I got a photograph still in my phone of my wife's sister's husband, Gerald Donnell, when he was in the Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas. He's sitting in the bed, and he's got, I don't know how many lines and hoses going into him. He's got things going in his nose, things going in his mouth. He's got things in his arms. He's got lines in his legs. He's sitting there. He's lost his his hair, all of these things. And what is he doing? He's sitting there, and in his lap, he has his Bible that he's reading in the Houston Methodist Hospital. And he died without his family being able to be with him. They could only see him over a monitor. They couldn't be with him. You remember, it's still prohibited in some hospitals of going in. And he died with only the Lord there with him. And he was a good and godly man after the flesh. He was a, a man who believed the Scripture, served the Lord, retired years ago from Dow Chemical, didn't want to do anything, so he went to the pastor and the board of his church and said, I want to serve the Lord, what can I do? And he ended up, you know, running, taking care of all of the affairs that keeps the church in shape, and from the plumbing to the electrical to the school buses to whatever. He was a servant. He had a servant's heart. And he was a good man, and there he was reading his Bible in that hospital room, and he left this world. He already had a couple of things in his chest that he had had in there for years. Uh, and so then when he got this problem with his lungs, it was more his body just simply wore out. He fought a good fight, but his body simply wore out. And I'm sure that some of you know of people who are believers who have left the world during this coronavirus period of history here in the United States. So this brings us to this final question this morning. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? If you should die and be resurrected again, as was Lazarus, still you have to die again. Lazarus had to die again. Do you realize that? In fact, there was one event that uh, John mentioned where many people came not just to hear the Lord, they came to see Lazarus who had been resurrected from the dead. I mean, he was on the headlines of the Jerusalem Gazette there for a while. And people wanted to see, I want to see this man that was dead, and uh, we know officially that he was raised from dead, from, the, from, from being dead, from death. Now I ask you this, if, if you were resurrected just like Lazarus, Still, you have to die again, just like Lazarus. If the Lord answers every prayer you make, and you live for a hundred years, still you're going to have to pass through the gates of death and into eternity. So my question is, where is your hope? Where is the hope of Joseph? Is his hope in his bloodline the fact that he's related to Abraham? Is his hope in his personal goodness? No. His hope 
is in his God and in his Savior. And so I ask you this morning, where is your hope? We boast of our troubles, Paul says, in Romans chapter 3, chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Listen to this. I'm going to kind of transliterate this for you as we go along. Romans 5, 3 through 5. We boast of our troubles. We boast of our trials. We boast of our sufferings. Because we know that trouble produces endurance. And many uh, translations will have patience. You know what patience is? Patience is faith that's stretched out over time. Biblical Patience is faith stretched out over time, waiting for God's will to be fulfilled, waiting on the Lord to do whatever he's going to do. We boast of our troubles. We boast of our trials. We boast of our suffering because we know that trouble produces endurance or patience, which is faith stretched out, and patience, that is endurance, brings God's approval. He's, a, he's pleased when we still trust him, though we are hurting, and his approval creates hope. His approval creates hope. We boast of our troubles because we know that trouble produces endurance or patience, and patience brings approval, and his approval creates hope. Where's the hope that we have? You know, in July of 2020, uh, I had a sickness. I still don't know what what caused it. Uh, I think that I had some type of indigestion. I uh, got ready to go to bed in the night, swole up like I was going to have a baby. Uh, And uh, that was not the thing that bothered me. I've had indigestion only twice in my life. One time I ate some bad barbecue, and another time I ate something else. I don't know what caused that. <laughs> and I, I, so I knew how, what it felt like. And so I thought, well, I've got indigestion. And then I started having trouble breathing. And I started panting like a person who had just run a mile's race that was out of shape. You know, <sighs> and you know how long that continued? About 10 or 12 hours. I was out there all night long. And I did everything I could. I took some Tums. I took some other stuff. I stuck my finger down my throat, tried to make myself regurgitate. I thought if I could get some out, nothing worked. And went all night long. And whatever that was, it threw my heart out of rhythm. It made the upper and lower chambers of my heart not cooperate with each other. And I didn't even realize that I had a problem. I just felt a sense of weakness the next day. I didn't feel up to par, just kind of weak and Continued like that for two or three weeks. And then I thought, well, I better go see my primary care physician. I went to see her. And she said immediately, she said, we're going to put you in the hospital. I said, why? She said, your blood pressure is going through the roof. She said, have you had any pain in your chest? I said, no, I haven't. I hadn't had any pain at all in my chest, like pressure or things that I've heard heart uh, people, heart attacks might have. Some of you may have experienced that. Uh, and I persuaded her to let's try to get the blood pressure down uh, by using some drugs and some pills. I have always spent my life uh, almost having low blood pressure. I've never had any problem with high blood pressure. 
I was kind of like Henry Mahan. He used to say, somebody asked Henry one time, I said, Henry, <clears throat> do you get ulcers? No, he said, I don't get ulcers, I give them. <laughs> he said, I give ulcers to other people, but I don't get them. Well, anyway, uh, we tried to treat the blood pressure with the pills and nothing worked, so she sent me to a heart doctor, and the heart doctor said, you're going from my office to the hospital. I said, well, let me go home, take a shower, and oh, no, you're going to the hospital. So they put me in the hospital. I was in the hospital for three days in critical care. And uh, my family couldn't come up and see me, uh, and I couldn't see anybody else. I had good care in the hospital. It was right here in Williamson Medical Center. So to, to make a long story short, uh, they checked, uh, checked, uh, tried, to, tried to lower the blood pressure, with intravenous stuff, nothing worked, didn't go down. They said, okay, we're going to go in and look, and if you need a stent, we're going to put it in there, in your heart, and we'll put up to three stents. But if you need more than three, we're going to wake you up and send you somewhere else because we are not qualified to do over three stents. And uh, so they went in, and I, you're awake through this procedure. They checked me out, see if I had any blood clots at the top of the heart. Didn't have any, so they said, okay, we're going to knock you out, and uh, we're going to take a look at some things in there. And so they knocked me out, and when I awakened, I said, what happened? They said, well, you didn't have any blood clots, you didn't need any stents, and we shocked your heart twice, and it put it back in rhythm. Well, that's been two years ago. That was July of 2020. This is 2022. I go to the YMCA three or four times a week and work out and all of that. Hadn't had any more problems. Does that mean I won't have any problems in the future? No, it doesn't mean that. But I can honestly say that through that experience, my faith was strengthened. Because I was looking to the Lord and trusting in the Lord and waiting on the Lord to fulfill His will, and I was able to say, Thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. I was willing to say, Not my will, but thine be done. I was able to say that. As a result of that experience, my faith has been strengthened. I want you to understand something, dear friends. I want everybody to be healed that we pray for. I want them to be healed, but the, the sad fact is that that doesn't happen. And people are lying to you if they tell you that you can say a few words and do a few things and God's going to run down like an errand boy and make everything right. Let me tell you something. You were made and I was made for eternity with the Lord, not for this world. And so therefore, when a believer is taken out of this world, they are promoted. The rest of us are left here to wage the battle. And that changes the whole perspective of life in this world. I want you to understand something, that your suffering, whatever you have suffered in your life, and I'm going to deal with this, God willing, in detail next Sunday, whatever you have suffered in your life has a purpose behind it, and the purpose is for your good. Even if you are not saved, the purpose for your suffering is for your good. And if you are saved, it is also for your good. And I hope by God's grace to enlarge on that next week.
May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. I'm going to make my usual prediction. I have predicted successfully for the last 56 years who would win the Super Bowl. You know anybody else that has a record like that? I have a record of 56 and 0. I know who will win the Super Bowl. And uh, perhaps next week I'll tell you how I knew. <laughs> the one that the Lord chooses to win, who's going to win? That's who's going to win. I know that for a fact. I hope all of you will have a good day and a good week this week. I hope that all of you will think on some of these things. They've been simple this morning, very simple. But I hope to maybe expose you to some thinking next week, perhaps things that you haven't thought about, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the things that befall us are for our good, even if you don't know the Lord, and for His glory. One reason that unsaved people suffer is to get their attention and to show them that they're not immortal that they're going to check out of here one of these days and that they should be calling on the Lord. We're especially blessed here in the United States of America because we have Bibles. There are people born in other parts of the world who don't have any such thing like the, like the, the privileges that we have, the television and the radio and the Internet and all of the rest of it. My final word to you is look to Christ whatever your lot Whatever your stage in life, whatever you're going through, look to Him, trust Him, call on Him, and rest in His goodness and in His, in His faithfulness to you. May the Lord add His blessings to His Word. Let's sing. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Now may the God of grace and glory bless you with the blessings of his grace and mercy, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, for whose sake we ask it. Amen. And you're